Are you interested in semantic automation or learning how to unite UI with APIs? What about AI-powered document understanding? And what connector builders are available with integration service? You can explore UiPath platform at uipath.com product to discover a robust way to build and manage day-to-day processes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Stack Overflow podcast. I'm one of your hosts today, Matt Kienander. As usual, I'm joined by Siora and Cassidy, two of our other lovely co-hosts. Hello. Hello. Hi. And we have a returning guest today, JJ Asgar from IBM. Hello, JJ. Hello. How are you? Very, very good. Thank you. Uh, we normally ask our guests to introduce ourselves. Longtime listeners will know who you are. But for those who haven't tuned in, would you be able to give us a brief rundown of who you are, what you do, and why you're here to have a chat today? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I've been a personal listener for a very long time, so I'm uh, flattered to, to, to let, you me, let me be here. So I'm a, what's called a developer advocate um, at IBM, and uh, I don't know what that means. Um, nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody knows does. what it means. <laughs> no. Nobody knows what it means. As all of us are developer advocates. <laughs> exactly. Just exactly. trying to keep our jobs. <laughs> and uh, one of my biggest things about at IBM is uh, I have the email address of awesome at IBM.com. Um, I noticed that. I didn't think yeah. that was that was real until you actually sent me an email saying, contact me here, please. <laughs> That's awesome. Literally. Yeah. Uh, me being able to find a way to get that email address is uh, one of my, my uh, feathers in my cap. So, But the short of it is, is you learn how to do the right paperwork at the right time, and then uh, you can get whatever you need at uh, Massive Corporations. So today when we were discussing around what we're going to be doing on the podcast today, the concept of home labbing came up. And this is something that I was not familiar with. I went into a little bit of a deep dive and it seems like it's one of those hobbies where people are extremely passionate about it Mm -hmm. and almost actively warn people not to get into it because of how (laughs) deep the rabbit hole goes. Would you be able to give us a, a 101 on what home labbing is and uh, the benefits or potential negatives of getting into that hobby. Uh, absolutely. So the short of it is, as technologists, we're all technologists, right? I mean, hell, we're on a podcast on Stack Overflow. Of course, we're technologists. We have to sharpen our skills, right? We have to do something to keep our skills up and relevant in the industry. And uh, home labbing goes hand in hand with this. Uh, it's literally what it sounds like, um, a home laboratory. And the beauty of it is, is you can start as small as you want with uh, just a Raspberry Pi to as big as you want, where you can build a data center inside your house. Oh, wow. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. It's wild. (laughs) It kind of spurred from the original uh, days of dial-ups and things like that, where people would like, um, okay, well, we can go into the history of it later, but uh, the short of it is there's a whole community of people out there. Um, One of the major places people find each other is uh, on Reddit, on a subreddit called Our Home Lab which is actually very straightforward and very useful to you, very to go to. And you can kind of see what people do to build and work around new technologies, anything ranging from routers to play around so you can learn about networking to running your own Kubernetes cluster to be able to write um, whole CI and CD platforms just so you don't have to do it at your day job, but you can do it for stuff at home so you can feel a little bit more comfortable when you actually have to do it on your normal day-to-day job or of the situational awareness. Uh, one of the best things I've seen people do is set up actual JIRA instances for their families. We can get into that too Whoa. if you want. 
I'm not sure I want to see a Jira board outside of my nine to five, <laughs> if I'm being honest. <laughs> Fair. I, I have a friend who's like, he and his wife are hardcore technologists and they have, it's not a Jira board, it's a Trello board for each really? other. Mm. And they right. constantly like say they use it as a calendar. They use it how to track yeah. their own chores. They use it how to I was gonna say chores. plan out dates for each other, everything. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. And me and my wife do it too. It's true. We we have a trolley board for a home uh, for um our home projects to kind of keep track of of different ideas of like we want to switch out this thing in the kitchen. What are the different options we can do? Or we need to do like lawn, lawn work or whatever. Um, but the the Jira one they got even more granular because oh. like I think one of those spouses was a PM, right? A product ma- or project manager. And the other one was a technologist, and it was just the natural language they spoke back and forth. They would literally use email. <laughs> to tag on to the ticket about the different things they had, because then it's asynchronous communication. They'd have a log of all the stuff they needed to go through. It was brilliant. And they were nerdy as all hell, but (laughs) they got the projects done. (laughs) If it, if it works, it works. And yeah, I I think, I think all of these concepts, it's one of those things where I can tell it's a deep dive. Like it is a rabbit (laughs) hole that never ends where you could, like you said, JJ have like, a Raspberry Pi, and it does this cool thing. Or you could have a gigantic server rack that runs exactly. all of the media in your home and controls your lights, controls exactly. every automation known to men. Like it, it, the spectrum is very wide. <laughs> See, this is interesting to me because I always think about like hobbies like this that are very like can go from like casual to very immersive. I'm always like, what happens when you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Or when you like, kind of like fall out of love with the hobby. <laughs> the, the beauty of it is, is the, the se- yeah, well, that's true. You don't, but the, the secondary market, <laughs> the, the secondary market is actually really, really useful. You can sell this stuff very quickly because oh, nice. there's always someone cool. who needs to learn how to do this stuff. Like I, you can buy old servers, like old, like massive servers for relatively cheap. It'll be insanely expensive on power wise, but you can at least play with them. And then the secondary market, you can recoup somewhere between 70, 80% of the money you spent oh, to nice. buy it down, down, downstream. So it's, it's, and it turns out if you actually crunch the numbers of how much money you make per hour, you're learning to do all that, it all nets out relatively well. Um, oh, it really good. depends on how far you want to go. I mean, especially if you buy secondhand as well, where somebody has already kind of like taken the initial hit for the um, depreciation cost that, that right. also works out. So I, I'm very curious, apart from, you know, for those people who want to have their own private instance of Jira running, power to you. That sounds yeah. good for you. <laughs> <laughs> but for for people who might be more interested in doing other neat things outside of yeah. uh, outside of that, like what are some what have been some of the cooler projects that you've seen with home labbing or something that, say, for example, someone listening might think, oh, that sounds like something that's within reach that I could potentially get up and running this weekend. Absolutely. So there's really two different paths and it really boils down to how much money or how much time and effort you want to put into it. Um, If you were just talking about, Hey, I really want to just play in this ecosystem before spending any, any significant amount of money. The way I usually tell people how to do it is first of all, install some version of Linux um, I work at IBM and there's a company called Red Hat that we might have acquired. So obviously I'll tell you to use uh, Fedora <laughs> or, or CentOS or RHEL for that matter, but it doesn't really matter. But uh, what I usually tell people to do is the first step to walk into this world is find some old computer, some old laptop you have, 
install that operating system on it. Be able to SSH into it. If that makes sense to you, then you're 95% of the way there to be able to get something useful done. Um, if, I, if the term of installing an operating system and SSHing is foreign to you, then we should take a couple steps back and talk about how to actually interface with multiple computers in different ways. And that's, that's a different conversation. But assuming you, that makes sense to you, I actually tell you to install something called PyHole, pi-hole.net. It is a DNS-based ad blocker that you can run as oh, a DNS cool. instance on your network, right? So the beauty of it is, is you can now tell your laptop to, instead of going to your router to get out of your house, go to that PyHole instance and no joke, it can get up to 50% of your traffic cut away due to the random ads that we have on all of the different systems we have. I have kids at home. There's a lot of ads that the websites they look at with like YouTube and, and, and shit like that. And, uh, it's, I, I, I can bring it up and show you if you wanted to. It's like 45% of my traffic is completely knocked out because, wow. uh, because of PyHole. With that, then I actually tell you to look into something called uh, either WireGuard or uh, Zero Tier, um, which is a VPNing system. And the beauty of it is, is it runs on your phone. And why am I saying this is your first step? Is because if you can figure out a way to VPN from your phone into your house, to a PyHole instance, that means now you can access your network from your phone, which by the way, if you're listening, I'm holding my phone up in the air right now, <laughs> um, and actually be able to reach your PyHole instance. So your actual phone work or the stuff on your phone is less amount of ads on there too. And that means all your traffic goes through your house. And believe it or not, that, that opens up a whole world. So if you're traveling anywhere on the planet, now you're, now you're at home whenever you're on your phone which is pretty cool. Also, there might be a way to use that same thing to get past uh, the charge on your plane because it's all DNS and they're really lazy. And I might've accidentally figured that out, but I'm I'm just saying I might have, I don't actually (laughs) know. We don't know if you actually did. I don't know. So that that is just the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know. It, I, I, I'm a developer so advocate. I get on planes a lot. I'm just saying. Sierra is going to be traveling re, uh, over the next couple of months, and she is very much uh, looking for traveling tips. And I feel like this like, one. Oh. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's, so. I love the idea of using older devices, though, because I sometimes you just have a laptop that gets old and you upgrade, and it ends up kind of just sitting there in a drawer or something. And, and, Something that my sister did, for example, she had this really old Microsoft Surface from like the Windows 8 days. You know how old those are. They're, they they don't have a huge amount of capabilities, but she was able to mess with it enough to create just like a dashboard for herself that she could have near right. the exit of her home that would just show the train schedules. So that way she could go on her oh. commute and know when to go. And cool. then also the weather outside. And yeah. it's very basic, but she could look at it before leaving and be just like, okay, I have five more minutes before I have to go. I also need to bring an umbrella today or something like that. That's awesome. That's really cool. The home lab instances would absolutely adore that. There, the, the, there's a whole ecosystem of dashboarding to do with like mm. Grafana dashes and figure, figure all that stuff out. People would absolutely adore to see that, that picture. So get her to take a picture of it and put up yeah. on, oh, she'll get, oh. she'll get some internet points for that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. I'm like, okay, so one of the things I've been, to, not to, this is going to make sense once I get through this whole story, I, I promise. But one okay. of the things that I've been um, 
learning a lot about is ADHD and how to like manage having ADHD. And one of the things about people with ADHD is that at times it can be really hard to keep track of everything you need to do if it's not constantly in front of your face. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've been trying to think of ways to better keep track of like my daily to do's because I usually keep them in notion, but sometimes the whole hassle of having to like go into notion and find the right page is like just too much for, for me if I don't have a lot of like executive function for that day. So I kind of want to figure out if there's a way to like do this. I have like an old something laptop or something like that laying around my house somewhere. Be able to like make some sort of constantly available, visually there present (laughs) dashboard of like this kind of thing that's always like out in the open and easy to see. I was thinking about like with iPhones, you know, they have the new widgets and stuff like that. I was like, is there like a widget I can use where it's like always on my home screen or something like that? But this might be an option for me. So I'm glad that you mentioned it. I'll have to like look into this to see if that's a way that I can like hack the whole ADHD brain thing. <laughs> you actually just stepped into the second step uh, after wow. pie hole and that, which is spinning up your own personal wiki is my next suggestion. Oh, um, okay. Relevant. Which is, yeah. So you, you said notion, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong. Uh, notion is great. Uh, I personally use bear app just cause I'm an I- iOS person across the board. I used to use bear. I switched yeah. to obsidian. Go on. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is, Don't get her started on Obsidian. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm starting to feel like I found a tribe here that I'm very, very comfortable with. I, I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is great. The next step is to set up uh, a personal wiki on that little instance that you're running PyHole on. Because now you have a way, because now you can VPN in, now you have a, a place that you can just dump knowledge. And it's, it's on your hardware behind wherever you need. There's about a trillion different wikis out there. So I, I, mean, I can't tell you which one to do. Uh, to your point, to be able to have a, a constant checklist, you can just have that wiki page up on that laptop that you're like, hey, these are the things I need to get done today. And then to be able to access it from your laptop when you're working too, and from your phone, it all just becomes a great knowledge base. Then it splinters after after the wiki. Then it splinters into many other conversations. But the the point is is uh, that you absolutely t- touch the next step, which is amazing. Yeah, having a personal knowledge base, I think is it's like something is unlocked in your brain because <laughs> you can write something down and it'll be related to something else, and it's so so useful. And again, I used to use Bear, and, and now I use Obsidian. And what I like about it first is that it's local first, and so. It's fast. That was some, my one complaint with Notion because there there was so much to navigate. It was kind of difficult to navigate between pages and it was just cloud-based, so it was slow. Um, and so Obsidian's all local. And then also it has an open plugin system so you can add whatever sort of configurations and customizations you want. And so I'm able to basically query my own notes and query my own ideas in a note by by just writing a single line in my note and getting all of the information, basically making wikis and dashboards for myself. And it's been super helpful. I'm quite curious between, this is just a a technical question that's popped up into my mind. And forgive me if I don't know too much about networking. So please entertain my ignorance for the time being. (laughs) When you're saying that you can have your phone, which will then connect to your home network, and then you can access everything on there, whether that's Pi-hole for ads or whatever else is that's doing. Are you saying that my phone, which is on a cellular net, cellular network, will be able to reach out to my home network, and then from there will access the internet that's available at home to search for content and then feed that back through my home Pi-hole instance? 
Y- yes. Well, okay. So like every good technologist, it depends, right? <laughs> okay. but but the short answer is what you end up doing is you use something like zero tier which is the one i prefer um there's a lot of people who use wire guard or tail scale now um but uh out of the technologies that i've i've played with uh zero tier is the one i like the most and uh, it's free up to like 50 nodes so you can have 50 different instances of things talking to one another and the beauty of it is is it creates a mesh network um with a fake nick on it so um what happens is, so when you, if I had a whiteboard, it'd be easier to f- explain this, but you have your phone, <laughs> you have your router at home, and you have your, your instance that's running uh, Pi Hole that also runs zero tier. You install zero tier on your, your phone. What happens is you check into zero tier, say, hey, I want to connect. And your other phone is already, con- your, your Pi Hole is already connected. And it becomes, it becomes a point-to-point access. Um, they both agree to start talking to one another directly, right? Through the internet and through encryption and all that. It's There's a lot of different things about it. But the short answer is they, they talk directly to one another. And then when you talk to the Pi hole to go out to the internet, you actually go through your router and you route through your router from your phone instead of directly that way. It goes through there, out through the internet and comes back in through the tunnel. You tunnel back and forth, if that yeah. makes sense. It's, it's it's much more complex than that, but that's the the, the shortest answer without us bringing out a whiteboard. Um, <laughs> okay. And uh, the beauty of it is, is it's completely encrypted, and that's the reason why. Back to the plain joke a little while ago, which makes life much easier because now it's all just on four four three. It's all encrypted with like um, super high security. One of the coolest things about zero zero tier is you get to choose your network. So one of the one of the big selling points of it is. Uh, they actually tell you if you want to do like a LAN party with your friends or whatever, like playing Minecraft or whatever, if everyone joins the same zero tier network, they can use like the nine dot or no, is it nine? Whatever the DOD subnet is. Uh, nine is IBM. That's right. There's another, there's a DOD subnet that is not routable. I think it's seven. Yeah. It's seven. That is not writable. It's, it's, you cannot access it. So they put everyone with seven network IP networks, IP addresses, on the network and then everyone can just like directly connect to the server really easily because you can't go anywhere else because it doesn't exist on the actual internet which is a really neat neat idea cool um so that's that's a that's kind of how that goes um i do want to i do want to mention i did talk about the cheap version of getting into home labbing but i want to <laughs> talk about the uh the, the expensive way please um, do to, to, yes yes um before <laughs> i forget hole. yes um so as technologists, we deal in uh, digital goods, question mark. Um, assets, we, question so, mark. Asset, yes, assets. Um, <laughs> so occasionally we like to collect these digital assets. We're data hoarders. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it could be a, a, a video file. It could be a music file. It could be a, a, a document. We, we, we collect these things, right? Well, um, it goes hand in hand with home labbing because believe it or not, if you spend a lot of time collecting this digital media, there's a lot of money and a lot of effort and time spent there. And before you realize it, if you have only one hard drive um, of that, that hard drive can fail, right? Like your laptop, how many times has your laptop hard drive failed and you're crying because you lost that document, right? When you start getting into the terabytes of space of possible digital media, that's a lot of work that can just vanish. So you quickly discover 
um, you need to learn to become a storage admin. You need to learn about storage and how it actually works. You need to learn what a RAID array is. You need to learn what, why ZFS is the ultimate file system. And I'm not going to say anything <laughs> else other than that, because there is no other file system than ZFS. Um, and then uh, you, you, you start doing that. But that costs money, right? Um, a good NAS now, which is called a network attached storage. Yeah, thousands. Yeah, I was looking into this for uh, because we obviously deal with a lot of video files at work and being able to make that accessible for the editors that need access to it, as well as just dealing with the gigabytes and terabytes of eventual data that will scale up to this. Super expensive. There is no cheap NAS storage. That is good. <laughs> and, and you quickly realize, too, is that you could go buy like a QNAP or a Synology to be like, hey, this, this shit's easy. Like, why would I do anything else? Well, if you're already on this path as a home labber, you're probably going to want to learn how to build this yourself because you want to know what's inside of it. You're already learning a lot about Linux. You're already learning about all this stuff. Yeah, it's going to take you a little bit of time to figure out how to set up an NFS store and all that jazz. But then you actually know how that machine is being ran. And then you can add the different features you need to. And then before you know it, you're building your own hypervisor because you need more VMs. Before you know it, you realize you start running Terraform to spin up ephemeral VMs to do these things. And then you're starting to build your own Kubernetes cluster. And before you know it, you spent 14 grand on hardware inside your house and have a data center. It's a, it's a, it's a slippery slope. It sounds like you have two jobs, not just one job. <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> um, my, my, uh, my family is my, uh, my downstream users. And when I hear mm. dad, the internet went down, I know I need to go. I need, I, I might have set up Nagios. For, for the old graybeards in the, uh, the, the group here, um, I run Nagios at home because I know how to use it and it actually checks everything inside my network. <laughs> I don't think I've ever, like, I think that's something that my old computer science professors used to talk yeah, about. I, yeah, it's, it's something from old. the 1998. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a monitoring solution from 1998. It's still wow. around. And uh, it's uh, nagios.org. Um, if it works, it works. It works. Speaking yeah. of if it works, it works. I, I'm curious <laughs> Like how much, if somebody was to go down this route and create their own home lab, everything else, like how much maintenance does this actually require once it's kind of up and running? Is this something that you have to be constantly aware of? Can you be in the middle of a work day and all of a sudden things are broken and you're like, I don't know, it's my home lab set up, something's, you know, just, I'm, I'm, I, I would like to know how much time and effort it might potentially cost me if I was to go down this route. How often do you mess around with your vimrc or emacs.emacs file? Never. It's a good analogy. Okay. Right? That's actually um, good to know because I was, I was also worried about the maintenance element. Yeah. Yeah. It's your, it's your toolbox, right? It's how, how, often do you, do you want, how often do you want to sharpen your tools? If you are stepping down this path, and if, well, okay, first of all, if you're already a technologist and you're already in the industry, this is, it becomes a part-time job especially at the very beginning, because you got to learn how to get all this stuff from going. But I know that if you go to our home lab and, and actually, you know, read some of the stories, there are a lot of younger, um, haven't graduated uh, high school yet, like under 18 year olds who have actually gotten their parents to buy them an extra computer or whatever. And they start doing home lab stuff there. And they, because of the amount of work they learn in that space, they actually get into the industry through this path. Wow. Because they get mm -hmm. exposed to all this different technology 
And then they're like, oh, yeah, I can just go like to this random corporation and be like, yeah, I set up a K3S cluster that runs, you know, Plex from my house. <laughs> and then I, I'm able to do X, Y, and Z through these different systems. And 15, 16-year-old kid comes and sits and tells you these things. If you're on the infrastructure side, you, you can't find seasoned engineers who even know what those words are. Can I adopt you? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I wrote a Terraform plan that spins up my whole ephemeral system. Like, come on. I was just thinking to myself that the cool thing about this is that it's a cool hobby. And although it seems like it's a bit, it can get expensive, it also seems like you can gain some very profitable skills, which to me, that's a big win. That makes it like seem much more worth the investment too. The ability to learn to, to leverage containerization. Cause if you, if you do spend significantly less money and you need to start playing around with only containers instead of VMs, cause you don't have a hypervisor or whatever, like you taking that to your actual career. And then you can talk to, if you're a developer, you can talk to your release team be like, by the way, I was able to containerize my microservice that I work on all the day. Why are we running four or five different layers or something like that? If you tell your release team that and they've never talked to you about how the container is built and you're like, hey, I've been able to strip down to like one or two layers, they're going to love you. <laughs> they're <laughs> going to love you. Job security. <laughs> exactly. So for anybody who is now had their curiosity peaked by home labbing, r slash home labs is... Home lab. R slash home lab is is the first port of call. Anything else that you'd recommend people start looking into if this is a rabbit hole they want to dive into? Um, Unfortunately, as at least at the moment that we are recording this, uh, it is next to impossible to find your get your hands on a Raspberry Pi without spending a significant amount of money. Which is really it's 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 a tragedy. That's the only word for it. Because if we could get more Raspberry Pis out in front of people this world would only only explode. So be wary of that. To Cassidy's point earlier, find an old laptop, go to a, a computer recycling store or something like that, spend maybe a hundred bucks. Um, and also if with a laptop, you get a screen, which makes life a little bit easier. So if you do need to actually touch the machine, if something goes weird, instead of having to go into it. And uh, also I'm always willing to talk about this. All you gotta do is find me, man. I'm, I'm more than willing it's to talk about awesome this. awesome at IBM. <laughs> <laughs> As usual, we give out a lifeboat badge at the end of every episode if we have one available. Today we do. Uh, so a lifeboat badge is an answer score of 20 or more to a question score of three or less that goes on to receive a score of three or more. Uh, and this was awarded to M-A-N-Q-U-E-R, how to upgrade Yi 1.x to Yi 2.0. Thank you very much for being a part of our community. I'm Matt Kianander. I'm a developer advocate here at Stack Overflow. You can find me online at Matt Kander, M-A-T-T. K-A-N-D-E-R in YouTube and Twitter. First of all, thank you for having me. And uh, you can pretty much find me anywhere online as JJ Asgar, J-J-A-S-G-H-A-R. I'm um, on GitHub, YouTube, uh, Stack Overflow for that matter, <laughs> and uh, Twitter too. Uh, thank you again. And uh, please never hesitate to reach out. I'm here to help. I'm Cassidy Williams. You can find me at Cassidy, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O on most things. And I'm Sierra Ford. I'm a developer advocate of Zero, and you can find me on Twitter. My username there is Ciorio. That's C E E O R E O underscore. Well, thank you very much, everyone. Appreciate you joining, and we will see you in the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.